part of our worship, we always come to God's Word and uh, consider what God has to say for us. It was fun having all the kids on one stage today. It was our first time, I think, getting to use the, the entire new stage. Um, would like to make one announcement, one introduction. Uh, it's a pleasure today to have all of you here, but we do have a special guest that I'd like to introduce. Uh, I understand that Addie, for the first time, is experiencing being a big sister. And so Jake and Marcy Miller have Josiah Adam with them today. He's almost three years old, or three days old. <laughs> That's a really big baby. Um, almost three days old. Congratulations to the Millers. Well, as we turn to Psalm chapter 100 today, uh, it was Emerson, the 19th century American poet, that said, if, if the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would men believe and adore and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the day of God, which has been the city of God, which has been shown? Uh, Warren Wiersbe was talking about that, and he made the point that we've seen the stars so often that we don't bother to look at them anymore. We've grown accustomed to our blessings. The Israelites in the wilderness got accustomed to their blessings. And God, God had to chasten the people in, in Numbers chapter 11. God had, he'd fed this nation with manna from heaven. They, they actually had bread that was on the ground every morning with the dew. And every morning they went out and they gathered their, their food. And yet the people got tired of it. This gift from God that they found outside their tents. They complained and said, but now our whole being is dried up, they said. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Uh, can you imagine saying that? Nothing but manna. A blessing from God that just falls at your footsteps. They were experiencing this miracle that God had provided every single morning, and yet they were no longer excited about it. Nothing but manna. Too often, I, I think we grow accustomed to God's blessings don't we? God does so many things in our life, and, and so many of those things, we just kind of, it's just normal. It's just the way life is, and too many of us have never really learned what it means to be thankful. Now, we learned to be polite when we were kids. We learned our thank yous. We learned our pleases. Uh, our parents and their teachers taught us manners, but, but even when following customs, there, there are many people who just go through the motions, and you can tell when a person thanks you, you can tell when they're just going through the motions and when there's a genuine, uh, a genuine spirit with it, isn't, isn't there? There's a heartfelt enthusiasm. And you know, you know it. You can tell when somebody is just fulfilling their duty and when they're truly thankful. And so as we consider Thanksgiving this week, it's Thanksgiving um, is probably my favorite holiday. I, 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 love, I love that we have this day that's set aside just to give God thanks. There's no, there's no battle that we're commemorating. There's no... Um, nation's independence there's no uh, president it, it's just there's no it's not somebody's birthday it's just a day that that we set aside to recognize that god is faithful and and we take the time to give him thanks but i think that for many of us uh giving thanks is sometimes just something that we do to go through the motions and in some ways god can tell when uh, in the same way, God can tell when, when we offer it with heartfelt enthusiasm or when we're just doing our duty. Sometimes, uh, we're like that man who looks up at the sky and he fails to notice the stars because he's just grown accustomed to the normal things of life. 
We've grown accustomed to God's blessings. And so we go through the motions without truly giving God thanks. Before we turn to Psalm chapter 100 together, let's go to our God in prayer and just give him thanks for these many things and, and let's pray to him. Father, we, we come before you and we do give you thanks for this day that we can gather together and we, we thank you for these children that are singing praises from their lips, who, who, are, who are hiding your word in their heart. We thank you for the example that they are to us uh, of loving the Lord, you, the Lord our God. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for little Josiah Adam and the gift that he is to the Millers. Uh, Father, we thank you that we have your word and uh, this wonderful opportunity that we have to come before you and to learn your truth that you teach us. I, I pray that you give us insight. That I pray that your spirit would shed light on the truth of this word and might it change our lives today. Amen. Well, this morning I do invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 100. Uh, many of you are aware that the Psalms, uh, basically this was Israel's hymn book. This was their, uh, well, we don't use hymn books so much anymore, but this is their, their PowerPoint. It was at some point that they divided it into three different books, and each book had 50 chapters, 50 songs. The 100th psalm is the last psalm of the second book. And it follows a series of several other psalms, uh, several other songs, which celebrate God's reign, that, that God sits on his throne and he reigns in holiness, he, he reigns with righteousness. And so Psalm 100, appropriately, it calls the worshiper to give God thanks. And, and this psalm has an inscription to it up at the top. That inscription before the psalm says it's a psalm for giving thanks. It, it was designated as a Thanksgiving psalm uh, before there was a Thanksgiving holiday in America, long before that. It was just a psalm for giving God thanks. And it was probably a song that worshipers would sing as they brought their sacrifices, their thanksgiving offerings to the temple. So what I'd like to do before we read the psalm itself, uh, or consider the psalm which, which, um, which Brent just read for us, um, I think it's appropriate that we catch up on our knowledge of Leviticus. Now, um, we scoff and we laugh a little bit. We don't scoff, we, we snicker. But uh, Leviticus is actually one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, beneath all these laws about sacrifices and what kind of bull you're supposed to bring and what kind of lamb, there's this incredible picture in the book of Leviticus of, of this God who is holy and, and this God who loves us and this God who has provided a way. In, in brief, though, when, when you hear the word sacrifice what, and, and you think about people bringing a sacrifice to Jerusalem, uh, these ancient Israelites walking through Judea, what, what do you usually associate that, that offering with? What, what's, what usually comes to mind when we think that you're bringing an offering to the temple? Blood? Yeah. What kind of sacrifices do we usually think of? What were they doing that for? Sin. Yeah, we usually, that's usually what we associate with, don't we? We think of this sin offering or a guilt offering. Uh, we, we think of this concept that this animal, this animal had to die in a person's place. And in the same way, uh, we know in the New Testament that Jesus became our substitute. He became our offering. He, he died in our place. As Christians, we believe that God became a man. God took on flesh. And he lived a righteous life. And, and he showed us the way. But, but then he was crucified on a Roman cross. And we believe that it wasn't a mistake. That God had, 
God had planned this. That's the reason that Jesus had come. And all of history pointed to that moment where Jesus went to the cross and he became our substitute. He became our lamb. He died for us, for our sin. We teach that Jesus took our sin himself so that he might give us his righteousness to those who believe in him. And that's God's grace. That is something that God gives us that is good, that we don't deserve. But he loves us, and so he gave us his son. When you think of those sin offerings and the guilt offerings in the Old Testament, they were all pointing to this perfect sacrifice that would be made by Christ. However, did you know that many of the great sacrifices that took place that are described in Leviticus, there's one of them that's called the peace offering. And and the peace offering wasn't a sacrifice that, that was sent to make atonement for sin. It wasn't a sacrifice that was a guilt offering like, the, like many of the others. There wasn't a, a whole burnt offering even where everything was burned up. In, this old, in the Old Testament, there was this, this special offering and, and you would bring in the animal and you would bring in some grain that would go with it and some oil and, um, and the person would, would bring it to Jerusalem and it was called a, a peace offering or a fellowship offering. And basically what they would do is, is they would come and the, the representative from the family would bring this animal and he'd bring it to the, the tabernacle with the, the grain and the oil. And part of that sacrifice would be put on the altar and the whole thing would be burnt up and, and it would be given to God. It was a sweet aroma to him. But part of that offering would then, after everything was be, would be complete, would go home with the priest. And so the priest, the, would, this is how the, the, the Levites would be provided for by the Israelites in some ways. And so the priest would take home a portion of that offering. And then the remainder of the peace offering would be taken home by the person who brought the sacrifice. And they would enjoy a meal together with their family or maybe a couple families that were neighbors or all the relatives would come over. And if you will, the peace offering that you read about in Leviticus, in some ways this was their potluck. In some ways this was their barbecue. And, and so rather than just going outside and slowing a, throwing a lamb on the, on the spit, they would take it down to the tabernacle. And God would receive a portion of it. And, and they would have this fellowship with God. And the priest would get a portion. And, and he would enjoy that fellowship with his family. And so everybody that participated in it received a portion and got to celebrate this offering together. And so it was called the peace offering or the fellowship offering. And it was a time of celebration. It was kind of like what we're doing today where we all gather together and we we celebrate and we give thanks and and this was a time for giving thanks to god and so when we come to psalm chapter 100 what we actually what's actually taking place is the people were approaching the temple or maybe the tabernacle earlier on and they were bringing this cooked portion home um and as they went to the temple and maybe as they came back they would sing a song of thanks to god like psalm chapter 100 And this psalm is a wonderful reminder to them and to us of what true thanks should look like. Taking us to Psalm Psalm 100 today as we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving so that that we would be reminded that true thanks is is not just something that we enjoy uh, enjoy plenty of on one day of the year. It's not just something we do one day of the year, but it's an offering that we give to our God at all times in the midst of all circumstances. Verses 1 and 2, the first thing that we need to notice is that psalm, this, this psalm is filled with commands. 
it's a psalm that's filled with commands. Giving God thanks, it's not just something optional. It's not just a holiday that we celebrate or don't celebrate. It's something that's to be celebrated and followed throughout the year. It's, it's something that's not optional for the child of God. It, it's necessary, though, bigger than that, it is necessary for your enjoyment of life. Did you hear, did you hear how he said that? Truly, Thanksgiving, it's, it's a necessary part of your worship. And we must give thanks to God because of who he is and because he's worthy. But there's this incredible emphasis throughout this psalm on your joy. God wants you to experience life to the fullest. And God commands you to praise and he commands you to give thanks, not only because he deserves it, not only because he's worthy, and not only because it's right, but he also commands it because God has intimately tied your joy with true worship and with thanksgiving. And an essential element of our worship is giving him thanks. I, I love how the psalm begins. Uh, he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. How often do you make joyful noise? When, when do you make joyful noise? Anybody here? Do we do joyful noise? Uh, Rangers won a couple weeks ago. I was hopping all over the living room. My, my kids were taking pictures because they hadn't seen Dad like that for a while. Making joyful noise. Uh, when, when we're at home, we, we hear joyful noise. Sometimes we hear it from the other room, and you can be sitting in this, a portion of your house when all of a sudden you hear this burst of, of someone laughing at a joke or a video that they saw on YouTube. Uh, if you go to Friday night football games, you're going to hear a joyful noise, aren't you? The band playing and the, the, uh, the crowd yelling, the announcer enthusiastically shouting. We make joyful noise in lots of different parts of our lives. But do we express that same kind of joy when we praise our God in song? When we look up at the stars? Uh, the other day I, w I was coming home and I saw something strange in the sky. I, I, I was driving back to the house and as I pulled into Welton, there was this line of lights in the sky. And I was like, what in the world is that? And it uh, turns out it's the SpaceX. It was my first time experiencing the, the satellite launches. And I was like, this is cool. I brought the whole family out. And we looked at you know, these things flying through. And I missed all the stars that were around them that were even more glorious that God's had there for us all this time. Enjoyed the, the five minutes that I got to see this new thing. But, but look at all that God put there for us. It's the reason to give God joyful noise. We need to express that same kind of joy when we praise, we praise our God in song and when we utter thanks to him. We, we thank our God. And it's that kind of joy that the whole earth should be making to him. Verse 2, it reminds us to serve the Lord with gladness. And, and so often we, we think of our service to him as a, as a chore. You know, oh, I've got to go to church. Um, oh, got to learn my Iwana verses. I have to memorize God's word. Oh. We, we associate so many of these things with duty. Oh dear, you know, I've got to spend five minutes in God's word before I go to bed because I forgot this morning. Um, our service isn't just a duty, but it's part of our worship. And, and, and the psalm reminds us that it should make us glad. It should make us glad. Come into his presence with singing. Uh, when, when you think of Psalm 100, and you think of people bringing their sacrifice, and they're walking up to Jerusalem with this animal. Uh, what's the attitude you picture? 
sometimes I picture this really somber tone of, you know, we're heading to the temple and we're going to kill Fluffy and, you know, we have this very somber picture sometimes of what that worship might have looked like, but, but don't forget that as they were singing Psalm, as they're walking up to Jerusalem, they were singing songs like this. And it was a time of joy, even recognizing how God had provided for them by sending a sacrifice, a substitute, and how God would one day provide through the coming of Jesus Christ, who provided the ultimate sacrifice so that we don't have to, to have an animal sacrifice every time we sin, every year. It was an opportunity for praise. And when they came to Jerusalem, it was a time that was filled with joy. And it certainly had its, its more than somber and sacred moments, but the approach to the temple was a time that was filled with singing. And so my, my challenge as we look at this is don't ever forget that God has created you to worship him. And, and don't forget that he has tied your joy to worshiping him. So that when you are fulfilling your chief purpose in life and you're glorifying him with your life and your song and and your worship you will also find the most satisfaction in him why do we rob ourselves of such joy perhaps it's because we neglect to give him thanks and our thanks is a pivotal part of our worship true thanksgiving i i believe and scripture teaches us true thanksgiving it, it's it contradicts bitterness. True thanksgiving denies grievances. True thanksgiving deflates the power of complaining. And so just as a little bit of an experiment for you, I, 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 if you find yourself bitter towards someone, I have an experiment for you this week. If you're experiencing bitterness towards your spouse, don't, don't, don't rob yourself of worship because you're complaining. Don't rob yourself of worship because you're complaining about your boss. Maybe you're missing joy because you're angry at your parents. And so this week, I challenge you to experience worship by turning those instances of bitterness around, and instead of using those moments to become angry about something, turn it into an opportunity to give God praise. And then watch what he does in your heart. Watch what he does in your life, and in your joy. Take those moments and give God praise, Par particularly give him thanks. And so when you're angry at your husband, when your wife is irritating you, instead choose to thank God for him or her, and specifically in those moments, list two things that you give God thanks for, for that person. When you're bitter about your boss and the way he's treating you, Rather than complain, turn it instead and, and lift up a praise to God and lift up two reasons that you have to give God thanks for putting that person in your life. And when your parents frustrate you, lift up a prayer of thanks and thank God for two things that he's done for you through your parents. And watch what God does to your joy. Watch what God does in your worship. There's a story of a, a man who joined a monastery where um, in addition to the vows of celibacy and the vows of poverty that he had taken, he was required to make a vow of silence. According to uh, the rules of the monastery, the man was allowed to speak only two words a year. Two words a year. 
and utter them only during his annual review in front of the evaluation board. This new monk served his first year in absolute silence. He was faithful. At the year's end, when the performance was being evaluated, he was permitted to speak. And the two words that he uttered were food, cold. The monk served his second year in absence, in absolute silence. And at the year's end, his two words to the evaluation board were bed, hard. And then he served the third year and uh, in absolute silence. And at the end of the year, when he showed up for his final review, his two words were, I quit. Man served his third year, and the monastery leader responded. And he says, your decision really doesn't surprise us. After all, you've done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> you know, if only... If only our complaining was limited to two words a year, how much quieter would life be? I want you to notice also in verse 3, though, the psalmist gives a reason for this praise. He's commanded us to praise, but verse 3 gives us a reason. He says, know that Yahweh, he is God. Now, now when you see Yahweh and it's all in caps like that in your Bible, that, that means that that's the name Yahweh and and it's meant to slow you down a little bit so you don't just rush by it and flippantly treat his name disrespectfully. But it's a name that's meant to be pronounced. So you'll hear me when I see that there to read his name. And he wants to be called by his name. So don't be afraid to use his name as you, as you read your Bible. Know that Yahweh, he's God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You see, this verse focuses on three reasons why God is worthy of our praise. N not only does it bring us joy, not only is it the right thing to do, but it gives us three reasons why God is worthy of your praise. First, uh, the Lord God is our creator. He, he made us. Even if our joy was not tied to our worship of God, he would still be worthy of our praise because he exists and we exist because of him. Secondly, he's worthy of our praise because we are his people. He, he brought us out of slavery to sin, and, and he's our king. He's a good king who loves us, and he sent his own son to die for us. We are his people, and there is no better place to be. But thirdly, we are his sheep. He cares for us. He provides for us. He guides us to what is best. He watches out for us. He's, he's worthy of our praise. You know, oftentimes we just fumble through life without giving thanks to God. We're no better than a beast that, that takes and consumes without recognizing where everything came from in the first place. Not just before meals, but before all of life. For the blessings that all too often we've just grown accustomed to. And, and our God is the one who made us and he gives us life, and he calls us to be people, and he provides for our every need. And so understand that he is worthy of your praise. In the first three verses, David, the psalmist, he, he reminds us that we are commanded to give praise, and he gives us reasons why we should be praising God. But then in verse 4, he changes tone a little bit, or, or changes the subject a little bit, and he gives us a command to give God thanks. Not just praise, but thanks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. 
And so when the ancients came into Jerusalem, the, the temple, they, they'd be walking through that, that gigantic gate. And they would come to the temple and it would just loom over them. It was larger than anything else in life. And the worshiper would ascend this mountain to the temple. And as they passed through the gate, it was a, it was a majestic experience. And so he sings, enter his gates with thanksgiving. He was called to give thanks during those times. And, and then as he came to the courts of the temple, he would, he would continue in praise, recognizing the God who, had, had, who filled that temple with so much gr- things that were greater than the stones that it was built with. And it towered around him. And the psalmist commands, give thanks, bless his name. But here's the reality. Every time you or I pray, every time you pray, you are passing through his mighty gates. And you are being ushered not into a tabernacle built like a tent, not into a temple built with the hands of men and stone, but you are being ushered directly into the courts of his throne room in heaven. Every time you pray, you come into his presence. And when we offer him prayer, and thanks and praise we don't walk into a temple made by the hands of men you enter directly into the presence of god in hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 it says let us then with confidence draw near to his the throne of of grace And, and so you see you have been welcomed by your creator you've been welcomed by the one who made the stars and you come right into his temple And the same command goes forth to you today and to me. Give thanks. Bless his name. The concept of blessing his name has a connotation of of kneeling, of adoring, and then stating it. Contrasted with esteeming something lightly. Contrasted with being flippant about something. And And I'm afraid that too often in my own life, I just go through the motions. I thank God and, and I have these prayers of thanks that I've prayed a million times and the words come off my lips because I'm used to praying them and, and there's not a connection that happens with the heart in some of those times. I go through these motions, but as if I, I'm strolling into his throne room like a kid chewing bubble gum. Yeah, God, thanks. Thanks for the food. Thanks for this day. Thanks for... Uh, where was I? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for everything. Amen. See ya. And I treat him flippantly as if it's not a big deal. And the, the psalm reminds us, esteem him, adore him, fall at his feet and worship him. Recognize all that he does and give him thanks. Not just from your duty, but with heartfelt enthusiasm. Why don't we bless his name? It's actually a really short psalm, isn't it? Just five verses. Uh, the last verse, the psalmist not only gives us the, re- the, the commands to give thanks, but again, he gives us three reasons why we should give God thanks. First, he says God is good. D- don't, don't dismiss that. We say it. We know it. But, but do you believe it? Do you believe that God is good? Is he still good? when your life gets banged around? Is he still good? Is he still providing for you and what is best for his glory and for your good when times get tough? My friends, God is good. 
and all the time God is good. And it's just not it's not just a cliche. If you don't really trust that everything he does is good, then you're you're going to be hindered from giving him thanks in the way that we ought. I was listening to a famous astrophysicist this week. It was just a little video clip and he said he said he said either God is all powerful or he's all good, but he can't be both. And he said there was an earthquake that killed thousands of people. He said, God's either all-powerful or he's all-good. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. Or he wanted to stop it, but he couldn't. And that's a great misunderstanding of who our God is. So my friends, we have to understand that in all the circumstances of life, in, in, in everything that God does in response to sin, in response to a world that has gone to war with him, and in, in response, this is a God who is redeeming people, and, and he's making all things new and restoring all things to what they ought to be. We believe that even in the tragedies of life, even in the worst things that you go through, God is still good and he's accomplishing his purposes and he's accomplishing what is best for his glory and for your good. And through all of it, he loves you. Third, God's faithfulness, we're told, endures through all generations. We're called to give thanks to him because his faithfulness endures through all generations. And I love the word picture in the Hebrew. It's this idea of generation after generation after generation. There's this nuance of, of stacking circles. Always faithful. Always faithful. You ever see a circle? Have you ever found the ends of a circle? There are wedding rings. What do we, why are they rings? They remind us of, of that our love goes on and on and on. Not just the, the, the value of the metals that they're made with, but a circle is a picture of a love that continues on without end. And God's love, even more than that, is infinite. As long as that circle keeps going round and round, God's faithfulness keeps persisting and going on and on. Come on in, guys. We're finishing up. So don't let Thanksgiving stop with a holiday. And as we have children in our lives, teach them. All these kids coming in here, teach them. Invest in them and show them the incredible nature of our God, that he's worthy of our thanks. It can't stop with the holiday, but our praise needs to go on and our thanks needs to go on. We need to continually offer him praise as we are ushered before his throne. And may we genuinely recognize his worth and express it as long as our creator and our king gives us breath. So this week, my challenge to you is this. Number one, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you hear this talk of sacrifices and and, and peace offerings and fellowship and institution that was made through blood. This is what God has set up for us, and he's provided a way to you to know him, to have a relationship with him. He gave you Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know him, I'd love to share with you how you can have eternal life and have forgiveness of your sins, just as our children have declared from the verses that they memorized and shared with us today. But also my challenge to you this week is, is that you would take each opportunity that you have, an opportunity to complain, an opportunity to be bitter, an opportunity to be angry, and take every single one of those moments and think of two things to give thanks, thanks for for that person in your life. Take, take, take each bitter thought and bless his name. Watch what it does in your walk with him. Watch how God changes your perspective towards the people that are in your life might even change your heart and, and what you think of that person completely. 
And watch how he turns these opportunities to complain into opportunities to experience the joy that he has created you to thrive in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together today and a reminder from this beautiful psalm that, that we are commanded to praise you. We're commanded to give you thanks, and there are so many reasons to do so. We thank you that you created us in a way that, that when we do this and when we worship you, we experience this great joy and we experience fulfillment in this life when we accomplish our purpose and our objective for even existing. And that's to glorify you. And so as we conclude in song today, I pray that you would use this time to glorify your name in us. Fill us with joy as we sing praises from our lips. And we pray that you would bless this time as we fellowship together and enjoy this great food. We give you thanks for it. Amen.